It smeared every saucer and bowl. There wasn't a way I could stop it. That turkey was out of control. I scraped and I scrubbed with displeasure and thought with chagrin as I mocked that I'd never again stuff a turkey with popcorn that hadn't been popped. <laughs> kind of sounds like something a dad could do, doesn't it? What I was going to have Wilson put up, I'll just give you the title of it. The title of my message this morning is Think Before You Think. Think Before You Think. Now, unless you think that's just a catchy title and a flimsy title, it's really a scriptural title. We need to think before we think. And when we do, it means a whole lot more. And it makes it much more special. In a few minutes, I'm going to introduce you to that scripture that commands us to do that very thing. That we are to think before we think. Thank. But first, let's set the stage, if we could, just a little bit. Did you know that the Old Testament records some incredible acts of divine intervention of God? Think of how God has intervened throughout history for His people, for those that He loves. And I think specifically how He brought each, uh, Israel out of Egyptian bondage. If you think back to the Old Testament... And the connection that we have there to what we believe today and what we know today to be our God. The Israelites had a wonderful, wonderful God who brought them out of so many things. They witnessed God part a, an ocean, part a sea, and they walked across on the right hand ground to the other side when it looked like they were going to be trapped. They experienced God's GPS system. I guess you could say it was a, uh, a heavenly GPS system that guided them through the desert. It was with a cloud by day and with a fire by night. They ate from God's heavenly catering service, I guess you could say, as He fed them. Do you remember when He fed them in the desert and the Bread-like manna fell from heaven, and it was from above. Phenomenal blessings of the Lord that came down to God's people. Yet now, the Israelites, as they're in the desert, they're standing ankle-deep in this heavenly manna, this heavenly angel food cake. And if you listen in to what they're saying, it's pretty astounding. Now, what would you expect to hear as God has blessed them supernaturally from above and given them something deep? Wouldn't you expect them to say, thank you, Lord, for all you're doing? Wouldn't you expect them to say, God, you're great, you're mighty, you are greatly to be praised? Wouldn't you expect them to be giving one another high fives and giving thumbs up to the Lord for all that he has done? Lord, you're awesome. Well, if that's what you're thinking you might hear, don't hold your breath. What were they saying? Well, as someone described it one time, God's people in the desert were in the moan zone. Yeah. Have you ever been there before? 
Where there's not a praise on your lips, there's a moan in your heart. And that's where they were. They were negative, they were pessimistic, they were ungrateful, and they were unappreciative. Here they were surrounded by food from heaven. Here they were having been delivered on eagle's wings out of Egypt supernaturally by the power of God. And the Egyptian Pharaoh's army and navy had been destroyed. And yet they were crying out, let us go back to Egypt. Now I want you to imagine that. Do you know what? <laughs> I have to assume. I have to assume that when they were saying that, and when they were crying out, they certainly were not thinking right. They didn't have the right frame of mind. You see, they forgot the sting of the Egyptian whip. They forgot the sorry food that they were given that fell from the scraps of the others in Egypt. They forgot the humiliation and the hopelessness for their children, and there was no future for them. They forgot all that God had done to bring them out, as I said, on eagles' wings, out of the land of bondage in Egypt, and to give them, as Jeremiah says, hope and a future. They couldn't be thinking right to say, let us go back to Egypt. Now let's leave the desert for a minute. Let me take you to the New Testament. Let me take you to an account found in Luke chapter 17. And I'm just going to tell you about it because I'm not to my scripture yet. Here is Jesus walking on the outskirts of a town as he's headed toward Jerusalem, I think. And he's somewhere in the area of Samaria. And some lepers encountered him from a distance away. You recall that account? Now leprosy, the biblical version of leprosy, it has a name in modern times. Did you know that? The biblical leprosy that's being talked about is known in modern times as Hansen's disease. And what it is, is a horribly disfiguring illness in which the nerve endings in the fingers and the toes begin to die. People with leprosy will eventually lose their fingers and they'll lose their toes. And their hands and their feet and their arms and their legs are often severely damaged by this progressive disease. People who have leprosy, often their skin hangs loose from their faces. And their eye sockets often become exposed. Folks, it's something out of night of the living dead. And that's why people were so scared of people who had leprosy. And then the leper, if that wasn't enough, their flesh also begins to rot. And that's why lepers were considered unclean. For one thing, people didn't want to be around them because it was such a contagious disease. But it wasn't just the contagion that caused them to be fearful and, and want to stay away from lepers. It was about a religious and ceremonial bias that they had as well. 
They felt like they would be spiritually unclean if they got connected to this leprosy. <laughs> Bad state to be in. So here we have ten lepers that call out to Jesus for mercy. Now they didn't run up to Jesus because they knew better than that. They knew the law didn't allow that. So they cried out to Jesus from afar off, from a distance. They had to stay away. It was the law that they did. And what did Jesus say to them? Did He say to them, you are healed? No, He didn't say exactly that. He said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. But if you want me to interpret that for you, Jesus was saying to them, okay, I've done it. Okay, you're healed, but now you need to go to the priest and let them verify it. You know why he said that? Because he didn't come to break the law. He came to fulfill all the points of the law. And they had to have that verified by the priest. And so, that's what took place. So here they are. And now they're starting toward the priest. And suddenly their fingers and their toes begin to have feeling in them. Their fingers and their toes amazingly start growing back. Their flesh begins to become soft and supple like a child's again. And one leper begins to look over at the other and instead of fright night, he sees a healthy looking normal man. And then it begins to dawn on them. Can you imagine the elation, the joy, and the sheer sense of release that they had at being set free from this disease that had infected them? That had infested and, and caused them to be a, in a prison that they were in. They were probably, once they once they finally got it, they were probably doing backflips. They were probably hugging and kissing each other, and they were shouting to the top of their voices. But I'm going to give you three numbers that tell you everything that you need to know about the rest of this story. Are you ready for them? Three numbers. They are one, ten, and 180. 1, 10, and 180. This is why. Only 1 out of 10 did a 180 and came back to the source yeah. Yeah. to praise Jesus. Only 1 out of 10 came back to the one who had done it for. Can, can you imagine that? Instead of a chorus line and a choir full of praise and thankfulness, Jesus heard one single solitary voice saying and praying and weeping, saying, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. Now, I want you to notice, because we can skip over this, but it's hard to escape the heard in Christ's voice. As he says, 
to that one. They all got healed, didn't they? But where are the others? Where are the nine? It's almost as if the Son of Man himself, Jesus, the God-man, was caught off guard. It's almost like he was shocked by the utter lack of gratitude and the utter lack of even decency from those that he had touched, those that he had healed. But here's the deal. Before we blame the Israelites in the desert for their crassness and their insensitivity, before we castigate the group of lepers for their unbelievable, I guess you'd have to say it's an unbelievable duh moment, of lacking common decency and courtesy and thankfulness, that bunch of ingrates didn't even come back to thank Jesus. Before we blame all of those groups and individuals for that, let's turn the spotlight on us. Let's turn on ourselves. And my questions are these. How many times this past year? How many times this past month? How many times this past week has God kissed us with His blessing? He's done something unexpected. He's done something unusual. He's done something that He's just faithful to do on a consistent basis. And if we're not careful, we can get to where we just take it for granted. How many times has God kissed us with His grace and His mercy and His blessing? And sometimes we do just like little kids do. How many of you have ever gone up to your grandkid or your little kid or whatever and you try to give them a kiss and you think, oh, they're going to want, really want this. They're going to love this. And then what do they do? They, they, after you kiss them, they go, mm. and then they walk away. And you think, oh, I'm not sure that, that took Sometimes we're like that. Sometimes God kisses us with His blessings and instead of realizing, instead of recognizing it, we tend to be like the lepers and we walk away taking it for granted. Or we grumble and complain because God kissed us in this way, but we need a kiss in this way and we don't yet have it. And sometimes, sometimes we just sort of mumble a token acknowledgement. And we go on our merry way and we may say thank, thank you Jesus, but we don't really realize what we're saying. And sometimes, unbelievably, we not only take for granted, but we take credit for what God does for us. Folks, that's unbelievable. Well, you know, I'm healthy because I take care of myself. I eat right. I take all these vitamins. You know what I'll wager? I'll wager that the lepers that we just read about and talked about, they, they tried all of these things. They tried everything under the sun, and they couldn't make a dent in their decaying bodies. Well, I'm blessed financially with resources because I work hard for my money. I invest wisely. I'm careful. Oh, really? Is that why you're blessed? 
I've told this little story before sometimes when I've tried to get the people at the previous church I pastored to understand where our blessings come from. I'll tell it to you. There was once a businessman, an older businessman in New York City, and he'd come over from the old country many years before. And he started a business, and God blessed his business and all of that thing, but he kept his accounts payable in a cigar box on his desk, and he kept his accounts receivable on a spindle. He'd just punch it over the top of it and leave them there, and he kept cash in a drawer. So he really handled it pretty loosely. His son, who was away studying to be a CPA in college, came to visit one day, and he had been in many of his classes, and he said, Dad, he looked at what Dad was doing, and he looked at how he was running his business, and he said, Dad, I can't, I don't know how you can run a business this way. Look what you're doing with your accounts receivable and your accounts payable and your money just loosely in a cash drawer. How can you know if you're making any profit? And his dad, with that knowing look, kind of sat his son down and said, Son, I want to tell you something. He said, When I came to this country many years ago and I got off the boat, all I had to my name was a pair of pants that I was wearing. Today, your sister is an art teacher. Your brother is a doctor. You're in college, which I have paid for, and am all of them, and I'm paying for you, by the way. I have a home. I have two cars, and it's all paid for. And son, I look at it this way. What you do is you add it all up, and then you subtract the pants. And there's your profit. Isn't that true? We came into this world with nothing, and we're going out with nothing. If we've got anything, folks, to brag about, if we've got anything to cry about, if we've got anything to praise about, it all belongs to the Lord, amen, and His goodness to us. Hallelujah. When God said to us through ancient Job, naked you came into this world and naked you shall leave, He's reminding us without Him we have nothing. We can do nothing and we are nothing. He, you know what He's telling us? He's telling us subtract the pants and there's your profit. There's my blessing. You know what? I don't know if any of us fit this category or not, but if you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth, he's the one who stuck it there as you came into this world. If you have business savvy or special skills, he's the one who created you with them. If you have health and happiness, it's not because you or I know how to keep the boogeyman away from our bodies and minds. It's because... God has spoken His Word and ordained it. Folks, we can say amen or oh me, but it's true. Now for this to feel like a real sermon, I need to get some scripture in here, don't I? 
I need to get some scripture in here that you can look at. And remember, I had the message titled, Think Before You Think. So turn in your Bibles, and you're going to have to, because Lucy's not back there to do it for me. Turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 6 through 8. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Now, I still have it read in the King James uh, Version or the New King James, but I'm, I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation. You read it on whatever uh, version you have there, it's fine. But, but this one says a couple of things that I want you to hear about. Philippians 4, verses 6 through 8. Don't worry about anything, instead pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that you can understand or we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on in verse 8 to say, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on that that is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. I like the way this writer ends it. He says, think about things that are excellent and are worthy of praise. Well, that first singer of truth, we could preach all day on it, couldn't we? Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. That's a sermon right but then here's the think part of what I wanted to talk to you about. Fix your thoughts on what is true, what is honorable, what is right, pure, lovely, and admirable. The message says fill your minds, fill in your minds and meditate on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious. Think of the best, not the worst. Beautiful, not the ugly. Things to praise, not things to curse. And here comes the coup de grace. I guess we call it right here coup de grace. Think about the magnificent, infinite things that you can praise God for. You know, I read one time where the words thank and think are part of the same origin. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Especially for what we're talking about. The word thank and think are part of the same origin. I guess we could prove that in Southern Missouri uh, because have you ever heard somebody in Southern Missouri say something like, um, I think that's true. <laughs> I think everything's going to be all right. What do you think about that? You ever heard anybody talk like that? All kidding aside, the Bible seems to connect the words together here in Philippians. The word think and think. And in looking the words up in Strong's Concordance, their biblical meaning, the first and foremost meaning of think is to take an inventory is to estimate. And think 
The word thank is to be grateful and express gratitude. So here, here's what we need to do. And here's what the Bible is commanding us to do in Philippians. Take an inventory, estimate it all, and then be grateful and express gratitude for it. You see where that's going? You won't really thank unless you think. Or better yet, think before you thank. The truth is, if we're not thankful today, then we're not thinking. If we're not offering consistent, meaningful praise to God, then we have faulty rationale. Our thinking isn't right. We are rooted in something that is not rooted on solid ground. Now, I love Thanksgiving. It's one of my favorite holidays. My mind and my senses are filled with wonderful memories and impressions of uh, this feeding frenzy known as Thanksgiving. Didn't we have a wonderful meal last Sunday here? It was good. Memories of over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house we go. And seeing family together and watching football or playing touch football and the smells of the turkey and the dressing and the homemade rolls and the pumpkin pies. And I know I've got to stop it or I'm going to lose you. But the sad thing about Thanksgiving is how so many people get what I call their thankfulness fix for the year. They'll reflect, reflect briefly on their general blessings. They'll toss a few prayers God's way. And, they, uh, and then they'll go right back to the same way they've been living. And it doesn't change them. Thanksgiving never quite translates into Thanksgiving. Some don't talk to the Lord again until other holidays like Christmas or Easter. Some will go back to His house regularly or irregularly, but they won't think about His love. They won't think about His goodness with any intensity and deliberation. And not consequently their lives will be lived without a lot of passion and a lot of praise. So you say, well, Pastor, I don't want to be like an ungrateful Israelite in the desert. I don't want to forget that God is giving me provision every day of my life, every moment of my existence. I don't want to be like the nine lepers that broke Jesus' heart. And even stunned the Son of God with their lack of gratitude and neglect. How do I do a 180 and come back to a life of really living out my thankfulness and praise? How do I become that one out of tenor who comes to the feet of Jesus in true thanks living? Well, you know, the Word just told us how. The Word told us to focus on the things He's telling us to focus on. How many of you know as believers, sometimes we need to change what we call stinking thinking and start thinking about good things Amen. and positive things? And begin to meditate on some things that we rarely even take time to think about. We need to become amazed again at how good God is and how awesome His blessings are in His storehouse. I'm going to make this statement to you and then I'll tell you what I mean by it. 
We need to get out of the land of and and go on a thank you safari. Did you know a few years ago, it was either Ryan's or Golden Corral had a slogan. They said, come to the land of and. And you know what that meant? That meant they had a buffet that you could come to and you didn't have to just choose this or choose that, but you could have this and that and this and that and this and that. And that's the way a lot of people live their lives. They, they want to live in the land of hand. Well, I want this and I'm thankful for this, but I want this over here too. I don't have this and I can't really be what I need to be for God until, even though I've got this, until I have this. And so they want to live in the land of Ann. God, I'll, I, I can serve you better once I have a better job. Lord, I can serve you better once I have better hours. Lord, I can give to your cause better once I have more pay. And they're constantly trying to live in the land of Ann. I want this and that. And then I'll really be thankful. I grew up with two cousins, and boy, they were spoiled rotten. They were little girls. We'd go over to their house, and we'd go into their bedroom to play, and there were literally toys like a foot deep all over the place. I mean, they had toys like you could not believe. And it wasn't just girls' toys. It was boys' toys, too. It was everything. We loved it. I, I thought I'd die and go to heaven when I went in there. The problem was... They were so stingy and selfish that every time I picked up something, they'd gripe about it. Every time I picked up something, they, they'd come and grab it and say, no, that's fine. And that's the way that they had been taught to live their lives. They wanted this and that. They weren't thankful, really, and couldn't be for anything. They were never satisfied. I got to go to the jungle, Linda and I did one time, in Africa. We went through the Serengeti Plain of Africa. And do you know what a safari will do? That's what we went. We went to a safari. You know what it will do for you? It will heighten your awareness and it will sharpen your senses. You know why it will do that? Because it's not like going to the zoo in St. Louis. It's not like going to the zoo in Springfield. It's different. Because you don't know when you go in the desert what you can touch or what you can eat or you don't know what might touch or eat you. And I'm deadly serious. We would stop along the way to have a picnic or to have our meal, and they told us don't get very far from the vehicle. Because there were wild animals everywhere. There had been groups of chimpanzees uh, that had, had uh, attacked vehicles. <coughs> there were lions just off the road, just laying in the weeds. So, if we stopped to have a picnic, we didn't know if we were going to have a picnic or be a picnic. <laughs> and what did it do? It sharpened our senses. And it sharpened our awareness. And we began to notice more about what was going on around us. 
you know what? We need to leave the land of Ann and say, you know what? I've got to have this before I can be this or before I can do this. And we need to go on a thank you safari and say, Lord, I'm looking in amazement at what you're doing for me. I'm looking at amazement in what you've already done. And God, it makes me so thankful. It heightens my senses and awareness yes. of who you are. That's what God says is the key to a life of thankfulness. Think about His love. Think about His goodness. Think about His grace that has brought us through. Now when Linda and I pastored in Baltimore, and I'll tell this story and then we're going to move to a conclusion. There was a man by the name of Ron Blanton who had gotten gloriously saved. And he was there in the church service. Ron came down with a very, very severe situation with a throat cancer. Ron had been one who would praise the Lord the loudest in the services. He's one that would talk all the time. He was one that would love to eat. He'd be in our meals and he would love to do that. But did you know that, thank God, as they treated him, it eradicated his cancer. And God miraculously came through to help him. The insurance, he didn't have insurance the right kind or there were a lot of conditions to it, but it worked out to what it was all paid for. So God did miracle after miracle. But the cancer treatment eradicated uh, the cancer, but it caused his throat to constrict and to where he could not swallow. He could barely talk and he couldn't eat. And on this particular day, as I talked about this, I had Ron to come and give a testimony. I said, you know, this is the man that was would praise the Lord the loudest. This was the man that would love to eat. This is the man that, and how many of us take for granted the fact that we can go and eat at a table? And I said, but Ron, I want you to tell us what God has done for you. And he began to tell the story of how the doctor said, we, we've got one last chance to try to take care of your situation. What they were going to do is the surgeon was going to go down his throat with an instrument and try to stretch it and try to make it to where it would open up and he would be able to eat and he would be able to talk again. He would be able to do all these things. Did you know that they went in to that and as they were pushing that through, it got stuck. And, and it was causing some, some problems and some issues with Ron himself. They were a little bit afraid they were going to puncture something, they, whatever. They were afraid. And the doctor was just about to give up the last, the last ditch effort of Ron to ever get it where he could eat again, to where he could swallow again, to where he could talk again. And Ron testified that day. And he said, as the doctor was getting ready to pull out the instrument, a voice spoke to the doctor and said, try it just one more time. 
have taken away, you know, a committed Christian or whatever. But he said it was weird. He said, I just felt compelled that I was supposed to do what he was saying to do. And he said, I pushed one more time. I pushed and I pushed and I pushed. And suddenly it opened up. And suddenly it came. And did you know that day, Ron Blanton was praising Jesus at the top of his voice as he testified. He was eating with us. He was swallowing. He was doing all of these things. Why? Because of the goodness of God. God is good. God is good. I was going to sing a song for you this morning, but I think I'll probably not be able to do that unless Linda's, Linda can do it. If you can do it, that's fine. If he's got it, I want to conclude with this. I think it's a song that you'll love to maybe sing with me. Because it's so appropriate. Are you able, babe? I'm going to try. Yeah. <clears throat> you may have heard this. It's kind of a popular song. Just worship the Lord, would you? I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. All my days, I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up, until I lay down my bed, I will sing of the goodness of God. He knows he will. And all my life, you have been faithful. So, so good with every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of I love your voice. You have led me through the fire in darkness. You are close like no other. I've known you as a father. Yes, I've known you as a friend. I have lived in the goodness Sing it if you know. And all my life you have been. Yeah. 